Good morning, good afternoon. How you doing out there today? This is David Robert for the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. It is June the 1st, 2022. We are, my gosh, we're six months into the year already, but I hope, hopefully you're doing well out there. You are enjoying the spring as we head into summer. I hope, uh, you know what? Uh, talk now turns to the beach body. Hopefully, uh, you know, you don't buy into that and you just realize if you have a body, you can go to the beach. So, uh, but yeah, um, we'll be having a, an episode of that on my other podcast, the Adult Fitness Podcast. Uh, check it out if you got the time. But for today, we are going to be chatting about something that is, this episode is kind of like a part two to a previous episode I had about uh, sexism in video games and, and things of that nature. So wherever you are on the internet or the internets, wherever you find your uh, podcast, we are there. Just look for us at the Marketplace of Ideas podcast. You can find us on Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, you name it, we are there. So before we get started, just want to give a little bit of a background history of when it comes to myself in video games I just like you know most uh, most young man growing up in Western society fell in love with these systems as soon as they came out we're talking Sega Genesis Nintendo Super Nintendo um, Sega Saturn Nintendo 64 Xbox PlayStation you name it I think I've played all of them except for, I believe, the Dreamcast system. And I have had very limited play with the Xbox. I'm looking to get like an older school one because they're pretty cheap and they don't have that same nostalgic feel as the early NES ones did. But nonetheless, I am a lover of video games. I'm not a hardcore gamer by any stretch of the imagination. But I do love the retro gaming community, specifically uh, NES systems and Sega Genesis and all those kind of analog systems. I'm not too big on the online gaming when it comes to like, um, you know, like uh, Splinter Cell or um, what's that other one, that really popular one, Uh, Grand Theft Auto. Uh, There's another military fighting game, Call of Duty, you know, Arkham Asylum, all those kind of online games. They're a little bit, uh, I mean, not that I hate them, but I never really got super, super into them. My love is primarily for the retro uh, gaming community, the throwback, as it were. So as we get into this little bit of a, little, just a little bit of a a, uh, way to, say uh, cleanse your palate if you would Uh, for as long as I can remember video games have been the source of a lot of contention between parents groups teachers um, government officials as well as people in charge of censorship in deeming that video games were somehow an inerrant and scourge of you know a scourge of the society that would cause youngsters to begin murdering and killing at will to have their minds turned to mush as they logged hours and hours of, you know, time on these video game consoles, neglecting their schoolwork, neglecting family and modern society, turning into delinquents, cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. 
And as we just know that a lot of that was, you know, self-serving BS, and there were a lot of people looking to sell a lot of books and scare a lot of parents, you know, into into having them believe that their child, you know, was on the path, on the highway to hell, so to speak. So while I was looking up, you know, just topics to talk about in, in regard to this, I came across some really interesting stuff online and some really interesting stuff on YouTube in regard to how women and people are portrayed on video game consoles and how um, the industry has sort of morphed, excuse me, into this sort of um, octopus where it's like reaching out and, you know, overcharging for games. On the, on the same side, it's also putting the feminist movement back by 40 years, and it's also causing, you know, um, people, young men in particular, to see women as just objects for their sexual desire. Now, we're going to get into that a little bit, but the focal point of this podcast in particular is just to talk about um, the thing that I've kind of seen as the real issue here or the real problem. So, we're going to do is we're just going to preface with a little bit of info I found on Wikipedia entitled Sexism in Video Games. So this was written, let me see when this was written, uh, it's probably up to date as of today, but this is just on wikipedia.org in which it says sexism in video gaming is is a prejudiced, beha prejudiced behavior or discrimination based on sex or gender as experienced by people who play and create video games, primarily women. This may manifest as sexual harassment or in the way genders are represented in games, such as when characters are presented according to gender-related tropes and stereotypes. There's a media critic by the name of Anita Sarkeesian. Uh, Sar Kizan, I hope I'm saying that right. She drew attention to sexism in video gaming with her video series, Tropes vs. Women in Video Games. Since the 1980s and 90s, video game culture has veered from its original perception as a space for just young men. Women make up about 50% of all gaming players as of the 2010s. However, many video game uh, games condone instances of sexism against women through not penalizing users who demonstrate this kind of behavior or weaving themes of sexism against women into their storylines. The growing presence of women in the gaming sphere and subsequently publicized incidents of harassment towards women in this field have pushed industry professionals to pay attention to sexism in the video gaming industry. So uh, it, it basically says that um, harassment can involve sexist insults or comments death or rape threats, demanding sexual favors in exchange for virtual or real money, or criticism of the presence of women and their interests. In some cases, female players are also stalked, whether online or off. Um, let me see here. In 2014, the International Game Developers Association conducted a survey that demonstrated some of the lack of professionalism women in the game, game developing field were met with. Firstly, women reported defiance from their subordinate, subordinate male colleagues. The study also showed that white males were favored for positions of management and all throughout the hiring process. Female developers from the survey also revealed that they were not taken seriously in the field and instead were met with inappropriate behavior from male colleagues, such as being misled into, <laughs> into attending dates. 
Online video games can be host to extreme sexism towards women, and 65% of women are reporting an instance of sexual harassment in this setting. In comparison to their male counterparts, women are subject to three times the amount of derogatory or offensive remarks, which can be made anonymously by gamers. So, uh, video game conferences have been criticized for using sexualized advertising such as booth babes creating a demeaning image of women and for failing to stop harassment of female attendees. This has led to adopt or share codes of conduct for managing these issues. One form of harassment involves predators changing their username to include sexist or racially charged language when they leave comments during live streams according to gamer Amiri, Amiri Virgil. So it goes on and on to talk about how this industry in particular has not been friendly to women. Um, it goes on to say, according to Lucy Waterloo, there appears to be a deep history of sexual harassment in the video game industry and women who play video games online forums such as Call of Duty are often told they should return to the kitchen along with other slurs. However, the changing demographics demographics that have been seen in the video gaming community, an increasing proportion of people who play video games are, as it appears, female, have led to certain consequences. The largest change in terms of who plays video games has been that of gender proportions. This translates more to women playing video games than ever before, almost reaching um, parity with the number of men that play video games. The most visible and immediate ramifications of that have been the resistance of men and even some women within the industry. So it goes on to talk about the, the Me Too impact on the video gaming industry. It goes on to also discuss um, various examples of sexual harassment from 2007 to 2017, where sexual harassment in video gaming to mainstream media attention in the United States, United Kingdom, and Germany. So. There have been, uh, let me see. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack here and a lot to kind of get to. And, and obviously we can't get to that in one, one episode of this podcast and nor should you try. This is a multi-decade you know, various countries have gone through this and it's something that we all have to sort of wrestle with. But the main point that I want to make and that I want to sort of zero in on is that while there is sexual harassment, there is, you know, definite proof and examples of the industry being hostile to women, to being a place where females don't feel welcome, where they are constantly, you know, um, told that they should be, you know, remain in the kitchen and shut the bleep up and they could be sexually and, you know, violently hurt. There is one way that you can fix this in particular, and I'm not saying you won't have to deal with these problems, but the examples that I'm going to lay out kind of show how it's been done in the past before and how it can be done going forward. And so one of my examples is growing up back in the day, I, uh, during Black History Month, I would sort of delve into uh, myself being a black, uh, black man, I would delve into sort of the history of sports and entertainment, things of that nature, even more so than I would during the, the, during the year. And I would 
much. You know, I, I would particularly be fond of the stories of the ABA, which is the American Basketball Association, or the Negro League, which was a league adjacent to the Major League Baseball because just due to segregation, Jim Crow laws, and um, you know, bigotry, there were you know, rules that stated that black and white players couldn't play in the same leagues, they couldn't share the same buses, and they weren't able to showcase their talent the same way that their white counterparts were. So they created their own league. And soon word got back that you know, some of these players were as good and most of the time better than their, you know, than their other counterparts. And what would happen is, over time, these leagues would then merge into, you know, um, join the MLB, the NBA. Um, I don't know about the NFL offhand, if they had something to do with that, or even the NHL had, had a quote-unquote black league. But we saw with those examples is that when spaces were not built for people of color, right? People of color would decide to build something of their own. We saw that with the, uh, the, the, the series Pose that was on the station or the, I guess the, uh, the station FX, which was, I guess it's a streaming service. And it showcased uh, kind of like what happened in the 80s and the 90s when LGBTQ people of color in living in New York City at the time were not allowed to go to studios like Studio 54. And so what happened is they created their own ball type scenarios where they would have a ball and a house and you'd have a mother and a father who would you know, be the leaders of that house. And they would have their balls and they would have various themes to their balls and they would become so extravagant and so, so ubiquitous with New York culture that you would see it breakthrough into the mainstream with Madonna's early 90s hit, Vogue. You know, that came from the ballroom culture, that came from the LGBTQ community that had been denied access to the higher-end clubs of like Studio 54 and, and uh, the Ritz and all that other stuff. You saw with, with um, clothing designers like Dapper Dan, right? Where higher-end um, European fashions were not what they were not catering to, to black and brown youth in, in New York and the urban areas. And so Dapper Dan basically would create their own, like his own version of those clothes in Harlem. And you would see them being worn by celebrities like Mike Tyson and Salt and Pepper and LL Cool J, you know, even in situations when it came to fashion uh, for hip hop. Earlier in the 90s, Sean John, uh, also known as uh, Puffy Combs, P. Diddy, whatever, whatever he's calling himself now. I think he goes by the name of Brother Love now. He, um, he and other members of the hip-hop community would be, you know, um, showcasing their love for fine European clothing like Gucci, Fendi, Prada, um, iceberg jeans, and Cristal liquor, and things of that, things of that, like that. And these brands would sort of you know, kind of mildly acknowledge them, but not want to be associated with the fact that these black kids from urban neighborhoods were buying their clothes in droves. And so you saw the creation of Carl Kanai, FUBU. Um, what else? There was um, Rockefeller, Rockaware, you know, Masterpiece No Limit clothing. Every, it seemed like in the 90s and the early 2000s, every artist had at least a clothing line and a record label. And what it meant was, 
we were not going to allow you to tell us what was cool. We were going to create our own, and that was going to be cool. And let's be honest, most of the cool was coming from the people that weren't allowed to be into these in these spaces anyways. You know, I mean, if, if we're going to be honest, Nike, right, the NFL, the NBA, would, wouldn't be the billion dollar, almost trillion dollar companies they were if it weren't for the poor and impoverished um, communities that they draw their talent from. And so the reason I bring this up is because when looking at the video game culture, right, from my perspective, if the gatekeepers do not want to let you into that space, if the people who are the creators of Capcom and Blizzard and all of these other large, huge conglomerates from PlayStation to Microsoft, then it is imperative that women take it upon themselves to create their own lane. That doesn't mean that the sexism, the bigotry, the misogyny, the sexual harassment is anywhere is any is, is appropriate or even should be should be tolerated. But what I've learned from looking back into history and looking back into hip hop and various other subcultures and subgenres within those cultures is that if you are not allowed into these spaces, you have to make your own lane. You have to create your own space. And what that will say is, you're not asking for crumbs at their table. You're not gonna put up with the disrespect, the harassment, and the belittling, you know? You're gonna create something of your own. And so, when looking at some of the YouTube clips that I was checking out just for the research for this, you know, um, realizing that yes, there is a lot, a lot of horrible things that have happened within this industry towards women. But one thing that just dawned on me and just kind of hit me, and I don't, I don't want to say got me like riled up or anything like that, but just made me think that for the amount of time and money and effort that people such as Anita Sarkis, I can't pronounce her last name, Sarkisen, right? Canadian-born, Canadian-American-born feminist media critic. She was able to raise, let me just see here, she was able to raise about 160000 to launch her Kickstarter project to fund the Tropes vs. Women in video game series. Now, I'm no expert within the video game culture. Like I said, I'm not a hardcore gamer. I briefly and barely know some of the creators of these games with more of a passing sort of fancy. But there have to be at least within the culture of video gaming, females who know how to code, right? Who understand gaming structure, who love these games enough that they could be directors and producers and arrangers and people who would put out their own video games. You know, within the video gaming community that I've kind of gotten back in, in, into as far as retro gaming goes, you know, I've seen people create their own, uh, I believe the term is called homebrews, where people will, you know, kind of crack the code of the video game, you know, um, that they're, I don't even know how to, how to, how it's even done, but they, they go in there and they can alter the game so they could make it into their own. So if you have a game system, if you have a game like a, like a Mortal Kombat type game, you can modify it so that you can put in your own graphics, your own music, and your own sort of feel for the game. Now, if people are doing that without any money or barely any money, right? Putting out their own games, you know, 
with their own titles on systems that don't even put out games anymore, like Nintendo and Sega Genesis. I'm pretty sure that you could find at least 20 to 30 to 50 women who love video games so much because they make up half of the um, playing population as it is and put out games that are indicative of of what you want to see in the video gaming industry. You know, you could put out storylines that speak to empowerment. You can put out characters that aren't scantily clad and don't have breasts the size of, you know, flotation devices. You can actually create storylines that have depth and meaning and that allow you to say to the world, this is another version of what we want to represent. And so young women coming up could see that and they could be like, wow, you know what? There's a place for me here. There's nothing more debilitating in society or just in life in general. When you want to be a part of a community, you want to be a part of a movement, or you want to be part of some sort of culture. And there are people within that culture telling you that who you are is not good enough, i.e. your color, your gender, your religion, your political background, whatever it is. These gatekeepers or these people who basically are the snobs of that industry want you to conform to what they want. Or they have a vision of what people that, like you are like, and that's what they portray. And if you don't like it, lump it. Well, with the, with the advent, advent of the technology that we have now, right? If you are a young filmmaker, you write scripts, you, have, you want a book you want to put out, a podcast like I'm doing, a web series, a video series, whatever it is, you can literally for well well under $20,000, you know, if you work full time, save up for two or three years, you know, do whatever you have to do, scrimp, save, re, you know, re, re, reuse the mouthwash if you have, not. Nah, don't do that. But, um, you know, you can get an amazing setup of like a MacBook, a MacBook Pro, you know, a DSLR camera, a Rodecaster, um, you know, podcast mixer where you can put your stuff out there and have access to the internet and if you're willing to do the work and do the legwork you can put out products you can put out publications you can put out you know whatever you want and if you don't have the talent to draw or to write you can find people online and 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 have something to show to the world rather than telling that industry hey you need to respect us you can walk in there with, with what, with your own products and say, look, you're going to respect us because we don't need you. That is far more empowering. That is far more, oh my gosh, just, just makes you feel like you're stepping to the table with, with, with actual hootspah and, you know, and, and, um, and that attitude with you. But when you are at the door of the building that these people have built, begging for the crumbs off their plate, begging to be treated with respect, you're not going to get it. I mean, all of the, all of the petitions, all of the um, TED Talks will not change this industry. So it's up to the females who are, in that, who are in that industry to say, hey, we need to create something. We need to create a space of our own. Now, I'm not suggesting segregation. I'm not suggesting male bashing or female bashing. But what I am saying, saying is based on history, 
based on what I've seen in the past and in the present, there is no absolute no, no reason for any female who loves video games, who cares about that community, to not only put up with that crap, but to feel like they have no choice. Ultimately, you have all the choice, right? And you can say, I'm gonna either put up with this, with this horrible behavior, or I'm going to do the, get ready to do the hard lifting, get with other people who want to do that too, and we're gonna create something here, right? And, it, it, and the crazy thing is that ultimately it, it does, it is a little bit difficult to create something that is new, right? It is hard to put out a game or to put out something without a lot of backing behind it. But the crazy thing is if you have people that believe in what you're doing and you're able to get some funding, I mean, heck, this, this woman here, she was able to get money just to create a series just to bash the video game industry. Supporters donated almost $160,000 to her project. She was only asking for six grand, right? Now, Sarskinski, uh, at the center of discussion, she was talking about misogyny and video game culture and online, and online harassment. She's spoken to TED Talks, TEDx Women, and the United Nations, the Broadband Working Group on Gender and, a, and appeared on the Colbert Report discussing her experiences of harassment and the challenge of attempting to improve gender inclusive, inclusivity in gaming culture and the media. You want to know how you improve the way you, you're, you are portrayed in, the, in media? You create your own. You will never, and, and I guess kind of like the last thing I want to circle around to is this is not me trying to discredit the feminist movement or myself trying to say that they're just a bunch of whining babies and they need to buck up. That's not it at all. Bad behavior is bad behavior is bad behavior, regardless of who's giving it out and who's talking about it. So if somebody has wronged you in an industry, I'm not saying it's right. If you've experienced harassment, if you've experienced all forms of just douchebaggery doesn't make it okay but what I will say or what I will go on record by saying is that the only way that people will respect and I, I do mean this respect you in any industry is if you don't have to be there but you want to be there and if the if, and if the if the treatment is that horrible and that bad you can definitely say you know what I'm going to find another form of employment. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to look to create something of my own. All right? And yes, it may not be as big as World of Warcraft. It may not be as big as some of these large businesses out there. But the key of it is enough of a groundswell can get people on your side. There's a, not everybody is a, is a misogynist. Not everybody's a bigot. Not everybody is somebody who hates women. Right? There are lots of allies out there who want to see a change in this industry, right? who want to see young girls or LGBTQ or people of color step into this space and create something that adds value to the marketplace. And when you do that, what happens is now people start paying attention and they see there's an alternative. But if the only game in town are, you know, Nintendo, Sega, Blizzard, 
all these other companies, all that happens is we just rinse, wash, and repeat. And more people will either be harassed, some people won't say anything because they want to keep their jobs, other people will just kind of, you know, laugh it off, ha ha ha, right? But the reality of it is, change only happens when you make it happen. And if you can't change where you are, you're going to have to go somewhere else. And, and there's more than enough women to do so. You know, it just, it will require the courage to do it as well as the ability to do the hard lifting and say, you know what, this, we may not, it, it's kind of like what Martin Luther King used to say um, during the civil rights movement, where you, he may not make it to the promised land, right? The groundwork that you're laying down now, you may not reap those rewards. So you walking out on a meeting where the boss talks about his dick or you telling your supervisor, you know, for this video game that, hey, if you, if you make a comment of my ass one more time, I'm going to punch you in the mouth, you know, kind of thing, or I'm leaving. And you, you might have to get blackballed. You might have to be, you know, tarred and feathered. And, you know, what would they say in Batman? The, uh, the hero of the Gotham doesn't deserve, but, uh, you know, the hero that we need or something like that, right? But what happens is what people tolerate is what you can expect. It's particularly from the video. And look, I'm not saying this is easy, right? I've worked in many jobs where I was told, hey, you need to do this. And, you know, thankfully I live well below my means and I had savings where I could tell them to go F off, you know, <laughs> like I didn't have to do it. But it's not easy. And when you are, you know, your back's against the wall, you got bills to pay, you want to be involved in this industry. I mean, it's, it's not that big. And the people that run it, they know what they're doing. Right, and I think I'll leave you with this. Um, back in the '90s, I'm a huge comic book fan, and back in the '90s, um, there was a schism going on, a little bit of turmoil, or a lot of big turmoil within the DC Marvel sort of uh, pantheon of comic books. And at the time, Marvel and DC, and I don't know how it works now, were paying their artists and illustrators and pencilers per page, I believe, or per book. And the books were selling quite a lot, you know, um, Spawn, not Spawn, sorry, but um, Spider-Man by McFarlane at the time, the one with that classic um, Spider-Man black costume symbiote where he's like crouched and kind of looking very arachnid. He, that sold in the millions. Um, there was about 12 to 13 artists that were in charge of selling almost 60% of all the books within the comic book industry and McFarlane at the time wanted to change that and so you know they went to Marvel and DC and said hey let's work out a deal for compensation and ownership of characters and these large businesses told them to you know bleep off and so they left and they started their own they started image comic books now they, if you read about the history of image comic books there it's it is just a wash with <laughs> blunders about young men who were getting paid inordinate amount, ridiculous amounts of money and then not really watching the shop and so right now image is still rolling in 2022 todd mcfarlane is still at the helm still penciling and i believe still drawing spawn uh, a lot of the other artists like jim lee and rob leefield i can't i don't know the names of some of the other ones um they still have characters that are out there i don't know if they're actively printing them but what they did is they showed the industry, this is even before the internet, that what you could do 
is if you have the talent, if you're the talent, you're the one doing the hard work. You're not one of the bean counters. You can take your talent, a la like Tim, like Tom Brady, right? <laughs> and go somewhere else and replicate what you've done. And right now, because of the the way technology has shrunken the cost of production and the cost of dis- dis- distribution, it's it's easier now than ever. Now, the catch-22 of that is there are more people doing it. So if you you know if you want to succeed, you got to be consistent, and you also have to level. raise your level of production, raise your quality of work. But that just comes with time, right? And so if people, you know, are willing and want to see more and more, you know, um, women in the video gaming industry or in tech or in coding or anything like that, it's going to have to start with the people who are being oppressed and want to rise up, right? So that's kind of like my two cents on the whole thing. Once again, uh, by no means is this me bashing on what's been brought to the forefront as far as, you know, women being harassed and, and just hurt in the video gaming industry. But what it is saying is at no point do things change unless we want to make them change. Things do not improve unless people are willing to, to do the dirty work, to get their hands dirty, get in there and take a risk. So... Yeah, I want to thank you for listening to this episode. Hopefully it added some value to your day. And yeah, just until next time, I want you guys to take care and be good to one another out there.